live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. If Romeo and Juliet hadn't ended so tragically, the Montagues and the Capulets, specifically the young lovers, might have found themselves in quite a predicament. Imagine if Romeo and Juliet had consummated their love and brought a child to the world. Then what? Well, Mai Shbeta is here today to give us some idea what that would be like. Mai was born to a Jewish mother and a Muslim father. According to Jewish religious law, Mai is Jewish. And according to Islam, she's Muslim. However, Mai would probably define herself differently than either of these singular things. Mai has been an active peace seeker her whole life, growing up in Neve Shalom, or Wahat al-Salam, an integrated Palestinian Jewish village. She joined the World Economic Forum at age 19 and continues until today working diligently towards peace. Majbeta joins us today to talk about her life and career. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal, www.jewishjournal.com. Also in cooperation with Secret Tel Aviv, Israel's largest online social network community in English. Just look for the group on Facebook or visit them at secrettelaviv.com. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. And of course, we want to hear your feedback. So let us know what you think in the comments or send us a message on Facebook. Hi, Mai. How are you? Hi. Hello. Hello. Such a pleasure to have you. Um, Thank you. And let's just, maybe we should mention why uh, Mai, why Mai, that the Jewish Journal with whom we cooperate have done a special for Yom HaTzma'ut with influential um, Arab uh, uh, Israelis. Or, and uh, Mai was one of them, if I'm not mistaken, right? And uh, we uh, brought her as an expansion of that interview that you gave for the Jewish Journal to hear a little bit more about you. Right? It was, yes, it was an excellent interview. You look interview. baffled. No, I'm not, no. it was an, like, excellent, an excellent interview, actually. You guys should check it out if, uh, on jewishjournal.com. Um, so tell us a little bit. First of all, Wahat al, wahat al Shalom, am I pronouncing? Wahat al Salam. Wahat al Salam. That was yes. hopeless, actually, yeah. that I'll pronounce that correctly. <laughs> no, it was quite right. But, um, but it means oasis of peace, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit what, what's it like growing up in a place like that? In an oasis. Yeah. Um, you know, that's always the first question people ask me. Ah, oh, um, damn. <laughs> that way would be special. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, You're special to me, Eitan. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, for me, that's all I know. I never grew up in a different place. So for me, growing up, that's how it looks like. Um, it's only until I got outside the village that I understood how special my childhood was. Um, because as a child, when you grow up with both nations, with both Palestinians and Israeli Jews, you you don't see them as different. You just see the world as 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 it is in the village mm -hmm. um so i thought that the whole uh, country is living like that i didn't even know that there was a conflict until a certain age why is that like why why, why weren't you taught um by your parents by your teachers about life in israel what it's like outside of the village why did they maybe they prevented it from you maybe they protected no. you from it no, I, I don't think they prevented or protected. But, you know, as as a child, I'm speaking about a really young age. It's not the first thing that your parents teach you. Right. Um, so when I went to school, I knew that it's special that we are Jews and Palestinians. But I never really understood why. 
um, I knew there was a conflict, but as a child, you don't really understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And it's only when I went to, um, to high school outside of the village that I understood how special our village is. Mm-hmm. Um, I always knew about the conflict, but I never really felt it on myself until 2008 or 9 in the war in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in high school, um, it was my first real uh, interaction with, with a war. Right, how did they call that in English? Yeah. Uh, cast lead, yeah, I think. There were so many of them that so I don't remember. Up until, yeah. So up until high school, you didn't quite realize um, what's unique about a place you Which grew up. Which kind of, I mean, makes sense, because, I mean, it makes sense, I guess, to, in a certain way to raise kids in that way, because I think that's how conflicts get ingrained. I mean, that's the first step to... To, to, to establishing a conflict or to perpetuating a conflict is teaching people that they're on one side and that there's another side. You know, you could argue that you need to know who is on the other side to know what you need to protect yourself from or whatever. But, but I guess that it, when it comes down to the most basic elements, it's like once you tell a kid at age three or four or five that, you know, this is you and this is them, then that kind of creates a divide. But I'm going even more basic Like history classes in in middle school in uh, junior high uh you they didn't teach you about the history of israel well they did it's 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 not what it, what it seems like it's not um very accurate that I didn't know anything because we I have family living in West Bank mm-hmm. and we used to go visit them and go through checkpoints and see soldiers and I used to hear the news and in two thousand six there was the Lebanon war the Lebanon war so so I did know and feel the conflict and actually my whole life was about the conflict um, and people used to come to the village and hear about it and we used to to show them around we used to go to um, you know peace camps and all that stuff but it's only in the war in Gaza that I really felt treated differently or so how um, so because you As soon as the war broke, mm-hmm. um, I was in 12th grade um, and, and my, my friends in school, they used to, you know, blame me for what's happening. And some of them... Where was it? Uh, what? In, I Where went was to the a, high school? I went to a Jewish high school uh-huh. of uh, Kibbutzim. Okay. Kibbutz. Um, so they were blaming you. What were they saying? Um, you know, like all of the, throughout all of my high school years... Me and my Arab friends, uh, it's a Jewish school, and we were only like three or four Arabs in the classroom. All from Neve um, Shalom? All from Neve Shalom. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we were arguing about things and in history classes, and we used to bring the other side perspective. Um, but during the war, um, every time something happened, they, they blamed me for you know, being part of them, and they, they, they blamed the whole Palestinian nation for the rockets that fell. Um, and I felt like I'm responsible for everything, and right. I felt like they they wouldn't want to be my friends anymore. Did they ever uh approach you personally and say, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, sure, I had many um discussions um and I lost many friends just because of my opinions, which were what the opinions um very right winged no know, um but You say your opinions. What were your opinions yeah. back then? Well, my opinions... How did you perceive it? 
you know, every everywhere I go, I, I tend to bring the other side. So if someone is um, kind of taking the Israeli side, I'll take the Palestinian side. And if someone is taking the Palestinian side, I'll try to somehow bring the other perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not defend because I do um, feel more with the Palestinian side. I can say that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do understand both sides and where they come from. Um, so during the war, I used to just bring the other side's perspective and tell them that there is many innocent people in Gaza and children being killed. And um, those people, they just couldn't hear that. And they couldn't hear and accept that Israel was maybe doing something wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, vice versa? Did you have a chance encounters with Arabs during the operations in which you had to represent the Jewish, Israeli Jewish side, Zionist side, um, against your your Palestinian friends? Yes, you know, there's extremists on both sides. And when I hear or see someone write something about, you know, um, like defending suicide bombings or... Um, stabbings or something like that or saying that we that Palestine needs to be on all of Israel's land um, then I bring the other perspective and say that there's people here um, living in this in this country and they have nowhere to go mm-hmm. and uh, the Jewish people um, have like a right for for a country mm-hmm. uh, themselves uh, it doesn't mean they have to occupy but I do tell them that not all the Israeli Jews are the same and not all of them are soldiers. And not all of them want to kill all Palestinians like many of them think. And can you? And did you have valuable discussions? Because I'm, I'm so curious because I know how, it's, how, how it is on our side when people take the Palestinian side and debate with uh, middle or right-wing uh, Israelis Jews. But I don't know how it is on the other side. What happens when an Arab uh, speaking to another uh, Palestinian and says some pro-Zionist, pro-Jewish um, statements. So I'm really curious about how that discussion sounds like on the other side. So how did they respond? How did you ever manage to convince someone mm-hmm. or to make someone from the Palestinian side um, more... I don't know, accept, to accept your position? Um, well, I wouldn't call it pro-Jewish or pro-Zionist. I, just, I would just call it as reality. Like, um, nothing is black or white. Mm-hmm. And there's always people on both sides who are extreme and people who want peace and just want to live their lives. Um, so if, whether I convinced someone... Um, Maybe not convincing, but... How are the reactions? Yeah. How are the reactions? What kind of reactions do you... You know, deep inside people know all of these things. Deep inside people know that all of us just want to live in peace um, and and go to work every day not having to worry what will happen. Um, And for some of them, it's hard to hear. And for some of them, because they feel like victims all of their lives, it's hard to hear that the other side suffers too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something that you know it, it comes in slowly and maybe sometime they will understand you said you had family in the West Bank did you ever speak with them about this how how do they deal with with uh, your for, I guess your existence even you know the fact that you have a Jewish mother and the fact that you know she never converted no right 
Okay. She didn't. Um, well, in in our family, we try not to talk about politics. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, smart. It's funny because, <laughs> yeah, because I, I had someone from work talk about the Passover Seder recently, and they were like, we try and stay away from politics. <laughs> I guess yeah. it's good to keep family and politics right. apart. Just for yeah. the record, are they... Um, Muslim Palestinians or yes, Christian Muslim. Palestinians? Muslim, Muslim Palestinians. Okay. Um, like I have cousins who are active in in other peace organizations, um, but you know my family they they suffer a lot from the occupation. Where are and, they living exactly? Um, I have family in Jenin and family in Nablus. Okay. Um, How are they suffering? Well, um, first of all, they can't come visit us. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my aunt in 48 she went to visit her grandmother and after the war broke she couldn't come back so so she lived apart from her family um we have lands who have been taken from my grandfather and grandmother um during the war um and also like you know sometimes they they don't have water i i don't know how much it happens now but i heard like stories a few yeah. years ago that just no water for a few days um yeah and and what what are the what are the interactions look like when you guys meet and do you do you go visit them in in janine or or do they i mean they obviously can't come visit you they they can sometimes when when they have uh, permits Uh um they come sometimes but we do go visit them Uh and they do accept my mom um and actually in my dad's side it's you know, it's easier for Arabs to accept um, a Jewish, um, you know, m- like a guy who marries a Jewish woman. Than a vice woman, versa. Than a vice woman, versa, it's, yeah. it's much harder. Yeah. It's, it worked out kind of, kind of perfectly, I guess, for both sides. Because the Jewish side sees like the, uh, the, da- the, the mother oh, as yeah. the one who decides the, the religion and then the Muslim side. So it's like both sides are okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how did your parents, I mean, speaking of, how did your parents meet at all? How did um, this thing happen, especially yeah. back then? Yeah. So they met um, in Wahda Salam Neva Shalom, before it was built. They met in, a, I think it was a, a, a peace camp or a, a facilitator's training. Uh-huh. So they were both in that training and they met and they fell in love and they got married and decided to stay there. So this place was a, a like a peace camp before it was this actual village. Yeah, it started as a, just a place for workshops, and uh-huh. they had even a mini Woodstock in the seventies, where like forty thousand people participated, something huge. Oh wow! Um, a peace Woodstock, uh-huh. um, and they they did many activities. Okay. And, and then, and so your parents met there and they're married, but I understand that your, your mother's mother actually is a Holocaust survivor. Yes. So your grandmother. Yeah. Where is I she see. from? What, what's her story? The um, grandmother? She was born in Germany and he, like her and her family flee to Liechtenstein uh, when she was very young. And my grandfather is originally from Switzerland and he fought in the army during the war. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then my my they they met, and my grandma moved to Switzerland. Right, he fought in the in the Swiss army. Yeah, weren't they neutral? He was, <laughs> he, he, he was in the border. Okay. he didn't fight. 
Okay. It was on the border. Yeah, because Switzerland, they're always neutral. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They just didn't let anyone in. Right. Um, and so how did uh, they accept uh, the love story of their daughter? Um, well, you know, every Jewish um, parents would want their daughter to marry a Jewish guy. Right. Um, so it wasn't easy. But, you know, after they got married and when I was born and my sisters, um, they accepted it and they accept us now. And, um, yeah, we're not treated any different. Than okay, so, so, so you grew up uh, under those circumstances, um, going through uh, high school and all that happened then. And then what? You, you graduate high school. Uh, you go to the army? C no. Could you go to the army? I could. I didn't want okay. to. Okay. So you did... Uh, so what did you do then? Um, well, I was always kind of active in all kinds of peace activities um, and camps and workshops. Um, so I always knew that my whole life I want to dedicate to that um, and to human rights. So I thought, what do I want to do with my life? And I took a year off and then I started studying law. I did my internship at a human rights law office and then went into mediation, group facilitation, and that's what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. And you, at, at 19, as we mentioned, you, you started the World Economic Forum, right? Well, yeah, that wasn't quite accurate. Okay. I, I was in a... I, I took part in a, in a young peace summit, and uh, not, not peace summit, youth summit, uh, uh -huh. called Global Changemakers, mm -hmm. uh, of 60 people from all around the world. And from the 60 people, five were chosen to go to the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I had the chance to go to Davos and to present my work. Um, and now I joined the Global Shapers, mm -hmm. which is the like kind of daughter organization of the World Economic Forum for young people. And I'm going to go to the World Economic Forum of the Middle East and North Africa and Jordan in May. So let's start with the first one. You, what do you mean present your work? What was your work exactly? Well, I had like a small presentation mm -hmm. where I presented the village and the idea of the village and the idea of peace camps and my plans for, for life for in, mm -hmm. in, this, um, um, in this area. Which are? What are your what plans for? What do you mean by that? Uh, to make peace. That are my plans. Okay. Um, That's quite ambitious. Yeah. It is. It is ambitious. <laughs> like, it's you and Trump. You are the only two ones who, who believe it's achievable. John Kerry already failed. Yeah. Maybe we should uh, team you up. Well, yeah. <laughs> Anyone. <laughs> My and Donald. And Donald. Yeah. <laughs> M and D. Peace team. Uh. <laughs> 2017. No, but so how do you, how do you see that? Uh, how do you see that playing out? Like what is, what's the long term and short term plans? Okay. So. You know, as a as a child, I was wanted to become an astronaut. Uh huh. Um, it didn't work I think out. That, that might have been easier. <laughs> that might have been an easier endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope we're not like feeling like we're so hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I'm making peace. We're like, yeah, you should have been an astronaut. Well, you know, we're 28. She's uh, she's 25. We already, you know, we've seen, we've yeah. seen shit. So those you know, three years. Been, those, those three years. Years. Yeah, yeah, we've been it in the pits. It changes everything. Yeah. You don't know yet. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I've had my uh, my moments of uh, wanting to give up, but I just don't know that I, I don't have the privilege, mm -hmm. even if I die trying, because um, I, I never really thought, except for the um, astronaut phase, I'd never really asked myself, what do I want to become? Mm -hmm. I studied law because I thought 
this is one thing that could help me doing doing that and working for human rights and peace mm -hmm. um but you know growing up in in this village and in, to this family and being the uh the oldest sister um i felt like a responsibility that you know i have to i have to do everything i can because i have the special perspective i know both sides i am accepted by both sides yeah and you tasted life as it could have been i'd yeah. say I did. And I know that if people would only give a chance to meet each other, um, many things will change. And I, I also know that most of the people, if you would ask them, they wouldn't want to live in a war zone. They wouldn't want their kids to go to the army or to go fight or to maybe die doing that. Um, I think all, all of us just want to live a normal life. I don't, I don't know if I agree. I don't think, I think most of us want to. I think there's a few rotten apples and they say a few rotten apples, you know, ruins the bunch. And I think that, I mean, that's probably not word for word the right saying. <laughs> Who <laughs> yeah. said that? Because it's a bunch the of grapes. Extremists are the loudest. But yeah, but I think that the extremists generally tend to influence other people and then kind of spoil the... But uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's a perception here in Israel that the Palestinians have a more extremists as we would consider what is extreme, that's also a question. But if you ask me what is extreme, saying that um, uh, we only, uh, we will never accept a Palestinian state that is not uh, on the entire land of Israel. To me, I would say that's an extreme perspective to the, to the conflict. And on the Jewish side, I'd say that not accept, uh, vice versa, saying that uh, we can't split the country to two, it's an extreme. But if you check uh, statistics, you see that, uh, I guess, at least like 70% of the of the Israelis um, support the two-stage solution, 60-70%, right? So they, are, they agree to split it in half, let's say. Whereas the Palestinian st uh, side, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a majority... You're wrong. Am I? I mean, I don't know. Okay. Uh, you just gave me an opportunity, so I, I jumped on it. <laughs> I, I just really wanted to tell you you're wrong. Oh, thank you for that. Um, it's good to hear it from time to time. But you know what I'm saying? I, I, I would guess that the majority of the Palestinians would not accept um, a state uh, that is not... Uh, the entire uh, land of Israel. You're wrong. You were right. He's wrong. How am I wrong? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I, I think I'm not sure about statistics and stuff, but I think that is statistically not true, that Palestinians wouldn't um, be okay with uh, with their own country in, in specific, you know, um, split. Right. Or the 67 borders or whatever. Um, and also it's, I, I don't even think there is even a chance for two states right now with all the settlements happening and, um, it's, it's just not, uh, very practical. Um, and I think that it, it's not like the, the peace will not maybe come from the people. Maybe there has to be, um, political leaders who will make a peace treaty. 
Right. But that's when the real work starts. That's when we really have to uh, accept each other and get to know each other and 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 meet each other and live. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a guy from that. the outside who comes with a big stick and um, force us with uh, yeah, ultimatums. Yeah, but we've seen that that doesn't work. We haven't. I mean, not not no necessarily one... a big stick in ultimatums, but you've seen people trying to intervene from the outside with the Oslo Accords and so on, yes, Camp David. Yes, but not, not um, violently enough. I think what some people in the left today are ho hoping... You want a smacking? Is that what you're saying? Is that I'm not <laughs> saying that I want it, but I'm saying I think now, at the beginning when Trump was elected, yeah. the right wing here in Israel was uh, thrilled. Now he will uh, he will leave us be, and we can build more and more settlements, and then we can build the third temple, and that will be it. But now, as it like many right wingers, no, he always thought that he he's the one who can solve the conflict. Right, but when he was elected, if you look at uh, columnists who wrote from the right wings in the right wings and newspapers, you see that that was what they thought. They really thought they were pro-Trump. All the settlers were pro-Trump. All the people in the Likud were pro-Trump because they thought he'd let them build. But now it looks like he's going to force um, both sides into negotiations using f force, using um, threats. How so? Uh, uh, threats. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. And he could uh, do that. Uh, may, and this is something that no one has tried because uh, always the leaders came here, the, the, the international community came here with silk gloves, you know, so gently and petting both sides. And But no one really came here and said, okay, look, uh, you if you don't solve it, I will fuck you. Both. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants that to happen via Trump. No. <laughs> the the latter part you whispered. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that I don't know if that's uh if that's viable. I think that it in order to have like a lasting peace, you need people to be open to it. You can't have something that's that's because then it's just gonna be something that's temporarily in place that eventually is gonna break down. Or, you have to maybe have maybe not. Maybe that's when 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 we come into this game, I mean, um you know, un until now, um after many many conflicts in Northern Ireland and in um, you know South Africa, people still sometimes have um, have conflicts and people sometimes do hate each other and the conflicts it takes a lot a lot of time to get over it. Mm -hmm. So even if that happens in the beginning, we'll work and work and work until we can accept each other and live together. But you know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's, if you look at the history, it's not a conflict about um, borders at all. It began, it begins uh, when Jews, uh, a few decades maybe after Jews come here. And long, long before uh, the British mandate ended, you had pogroms. Um, and you had uh, boycotts. Um, when you look at places like um, Hebron, where there were huge um, Jewish communities there that were slaughtered by Arabs uh, for no apparent reasons, because back then the Jews didn't pose any threat um, to the Arabs, um, but there were political reasons. So this... What do you think about it? I mean, it should the conflict maybe we should look back to the to the roots of the conflict in order to to understand it and maybe solve it because maybe um, focusing on sixty seven and even forty eight 
maybe it's the wrong focus when we approach this uh, issue. Yeah. What do you think? You know what you just said about the conflict going way back um, and all those events you described. You know, the Palestinians, they learn the same just from the other side. And for them, the conflict also goes way back. And um, it also says that they were living here and then suddenly um, people from Europe came and, and started taking their lands. Um, so, 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 so that's why I, I don't like to go into history. I like to look forward Okay. And, and and to see what we can do from now and not just being stuck in the past. Right. So you don't think we should look back at all. Well, that's it makes it's already part of us. The past. But but I you know, I, I have a problem with that because I, I think that without knowing history, without knowing what happened, um, You, you can't solve such conflicts. I mean, look at the Germans. Sorry, Eitan. But look at the Germans. The Germans... Um, Why are you apologizing? I don't know, because... <laughs> I, am, I, I, did like I, am I representing the Germans here? Uh, yeah, Is that I, the role I am playing? Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, because I accept your apology. If you look at the Germans, uh, they... Uh, well, uh, some guests that we've had said otherwise. But they... Um, They always always deal with the past. They couldn't say let's let's forget about the past and look at about the future. It's not what uh, I'm saying. Okay, so what are you saying? I, I'm just saying that in order to solve the conflict, we have to look to the future, and and the past will always be part of the future. It is part of of the now. I'm not saying to ignore, but I'm just saying not being stuck in the past. Sitting here in the middle, I'm <laughs> literally, have, I, literally <laughs> and figuratively, I'm going to have to say I think it's a balance. I think that you naturally want to look into the past to learn about the future. But then, like you said, maybe we're focusing on 1967 and 48 too much. Maybe we need to look at 29 and, or 39, you know, the Arab revolts. I think you can keep going, like she said, backwards, but you can also lose sight of Of if you lose sight of the past, then yeah, you will make mistakes in the future. I think it's a balance, but you know the. I don't know where that don't balance be is. Yeah, but <laughs> but I want to ask you again. Let's go back to the to the dream, the Palestinian dream of the land of Israel, which uh, I don't judge right now, but I know it exists because when you look when you talk to Palestinians, when you look at interviews from. Every, like, Israeli-Palestinians, Palestinians in Gaza or in the territories, they, most of them will say that this is a dream. And when you look at the school books in the Palestinian territories, you see that this dream very much exists. So what do you think about that? How, how, how does that help us look forward? Yeah, well, I have two questions for you. Yes. First of all, doesn't this dream exist also for Israeli Jews? Uh, no, only, no. Only, only the religious ones, which are 40%, 40% let's say, okay. 50%. Then, uh, first of all, that's a lot. And it is. And second of all, I, I, I think it's not different on the same side. I think that, that would be my second question. Where do you get those um, news from? What news do you read? Do you read Al Jazeera? Do you read... Um, like news coming from from Palestine, from our I don't country. read, read don't. news. No, that's I right. don't. That's exactly. But this is why I have you here <laughs> to tell me uh, what's uh, if it's not so. Yeah, is it not so? I, you know, I, I left because you're you're like talking um, 
which is good. You're you're talking like um a very uh, uh let's say um like the typical Israeli. Yep. And that's the voice you read and you hear everywhere. True. And that's because you are so fed by um by the media and by the government and by all that you hear in Israel. The dishonest But media. You, <laughs> um the I, I'm not saying dishonest, I'm just saying one sided. Okay. And as soon as you go like um you sh- you, you you go out of the borders of Israel, you hear so many other things and so I'm tell not me, saying tell me what do you hear? Well um I, I just think that things are not as excre- as extreme as they're shown okay um, and when I mean when there's a, okay there is a peace camp and then comes um, a Palestinian and a Jewish guy and they start fighting what will you hear in the news Nathan what will I hear there's a peace It's, camp and a there, Jew there's some kind the... of peace activity uh-huh. and then in this during this activity there is a Jewish guy and a Palestinian guy starting to um, fight to scream at each other to throw stones to threaten each other what will you hear in the news I don't know I bet that you would hear about an Israeli and a Palestinian guys fighting but you wouldn't hear about peace camp and about what uh. they were doing here. Or right. about any other good activities happening and about Palestinians wanting peace and about Israelis wanting peace, you only hear the bad news right do you know any channel that that gets like a piece of good news every day? Not really the question is how influential those uh peace camps and those good things are and maybe maybe it's a chicken and egg thing and uh if they were to get more coverage, they'd be more influential but you know the violence affects has a much stronger Uh, impact and much wider impact on people's lives than you know two pe- I mean it's beautiful that two people come together and talk it out and figure things out but if you have like some conference of 40 people that no one's listening to you know then that's less influential than you know some guy who gets on a bus and and blows himself up or some guy some uh airstrike in some city or you know what I mean like the the negative stuff usually has more impact and also sure. if I may say, I, I really agree that people get people real people talking to each other is really really helpful but what do we do about the leadership I think our leadership pretty much sucks where it comes to um, to regional politics and the Palestinian leadership is horrendous they they are corrupt they I think they do not want peace and like we had, Uh, here uh, people like Gila chair who negotiated with uh, Palestinians in Camp David um, on, in Camp David in 2000 and he said he got a real impression firsthand that Arafat back then didn't want to make peace but so I'm saying um, how do, how does that help us talking to each other how does that help us influence the leaderships because I think that only politics and only leaderships, Can change reality I don't believe that people can change reality neither demonstrations or 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 peace camps yeah but the people are those who elect the government yes um, and there is something in what you're saying like I as a private person can't force peace on Israel and Palestine I can just do my best to make people meet and um, you know realize that the other side is not their enemy 
You could uh, go to politics, though. I could. I'm not sure about uh, if I want that or not. And if I would ever be in a place um, ready for for this. Uh, but You do realize the necessity of it, though. Of? Of going to politics in order if you really want change. Well, I want to influence politics while not being in it. I mean, um, you, you, you have the English, you have the Hebrew, you're, Ara- you're Muslim and Jewish. And lawyer. And lawyer. a woman. Like, if you became prime minister of Israel, I think, like, everything would be solved. You could check off everything of the yeah. list. <laughs> um, everyone would be happy. Everyone would say, we have a Jewish prime minister, we have a Muslim prime minister. I don't minister. think everyone yeah. would be happy, but... <laughs> you would even be considered a Mizrahi prime minister, which would <laughs> also be, for the Mizrahis, it would also be source for pride. One day, one day. <laughs> um, so I, no politics. Well, I, I do want to work with politicians, though. I do, okay. like, one of my projects that I'm working on currently or um, I'm trying to do is I want to do mediation courses for Israeli and Palestinian uh, politicians. Um, I, I want to start with uh, people working in municipalities of neighbor cities, for example, Tira and Fer Saba. Mm-hmm. They are really close to each other, and I don't know how much interaction they have with one another except for going to buy stuff and each other's stores um i want to do a mediation course for both of them so that they can get to know each other they can get the tools of mediation and they can um start collaborating um and maybe if that works out maybe i'll be able to work with politicians in the knesset or you know why are you so scared of being a politician though uh i'm just not the kind of person you know you're talking with me about politics now and it's just but maybe that's the problem that the people that really want to institute you know positive change are, are appalled like, are, are appalled by politics and and uh and are fearful of it yeah I'm, i think like it's it's in my thoughts it's not that i didn't consider it um but i'm 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 more i, I don't know i'm we want we want a commitment to this interview. <laughs> We're not leaving the interview before uh, you say. Uh, we have uh, here to for you to sign uh, yeah. a contract. No, we just want you to announce your campaign for. Okay, the... I hereby announce my campaign <laughs> to run. That for... was easy. <laughs> to run for which office? Which <laughs> you going for? I'm gonna be the prime minister. Ah, nice. Okay. Um, no, I I really wanna. You know, I have so much to give in 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 the area of of group facilitation and working with people. Um, it might be useful in politics, but I think I'm better used in making those politicians get together and do something instead of being um, a politician myself. Right. Well, it leaves us no choice but to run Aiton for prime minister. And that's going to be a disaster. <laughs> so you don't want to let that happen. If you want to stop that train from running into I have the... To. You gotta, a train to run you would you vote for me <laughs> would sure I, would we vote for you yeah why really not? why not yeah. why not i don't put too much thought Two into my go. voting tell anyway you, so. i'll tell you more i'm a member of the likud nikim Hadashim, and yeah. i think you should run in the likud and disrupt the likud uh. and not only will you get elected by thousands of likud members i think um and they will 
put you in a high you, place. You, you see, Naor is actually an underground he's saboteur. Dreaming. No, he's a saboteur. The only reason he's part of the Likudnikim Achadashim is to destroy them from within. <laughs> no, but I think... No, <laughs> it's not true. And you're his bomb. <laughs> you, know the Likud, you know the Likudnikim Achadashim? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, no, because if you if you look at the principles of the Likud, you'll find they're pretty, they're, they are moderate. Okay? It's a very moderate um, party... In the essence, okay, uh, but the people who got elected and the people who elect are extremists, and this yeah. is why uh, our government looks that way. But if decent people uh, run, um, good things can happen. I like think, like our president, like our yeah, president, you've got a campaign manager. Yeah, I do. <laughs> you do. Um, but uh, I want to ask you, my, how do you see the future? Like. What is your dream when you look, let's say, 20 years or 30 years into the future? What do you see? Wow, this conversation is so much harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> you started by the regular question, but... <laughs> um, it's an old tactic. We are yes. special after all. Yes. <laughs> I can sleep well. You tonight. tricked me. <laughs> um, the future. The future. Uh, well... So if if Trump's um, um, <laughs> endeavors, if, if, he, if this guy is serious and he showed to be serious until now, um, then maybe maybe uh, you know Israel and Palestine would have to come to some kind of agreement. Yes, and then there would be like a big mess and disaster. You uh, think if they the come to an agreement, there in the would beginning. be? Yeah, because you know. Not everyone will agree with this agreement, and it doesn't matter what you choose. There's mm -hmm. no chance that everyone can be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it will be um, like in 94, 95, all over again with uh, with uh, demonstrations and suicide bombings, etc., etc. Yeah. But then, but then things would calm down, calm down, and I really, really hope that there would be, you know, not just peace on paper, but actual interaction between the two countries or the one country. Because I would like to see one country, if you ask me. Really? That's yes. interesting. Let's talk about that. Yes. Explain. Um, well, my solution as the next prime minister. Yes. I would do um, um, a state or country like Switzerland or that, like the United States, where you have cantons or states. Mm -hmm. And each canton will have their own leadership and uh, some kind of freedom within their own state. Um, but there will be one country for all, and people could move freely, mm -hmm. and Jerusalem would be international or for both or whatever, mm -hmm. um, so that no one would have to give up anything. And also, you know, if there would be two countries, me and my family and many Israeli Arabs wouldn't know where to go. Right. Um, and what would happen with the Israeli Palestinians living inside of Israel if there would be a Palestinian country? Will they suffer more? Will they move? Will, what will they do? Mm -hmm. So one federal government and then one nationwide government, and then you have two states. Yes. Palestinian state and Israeli Are you still voting state. for me? That's actually creative. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not the first time I hear this solution, but I, I just think I wish it could have happened. I just, I'm very pessimistic about it being possible. you pessimistic, the two of you. <laughs> yeah, I am pessimistic, I must say. I don't know. I Do think, you enjoy being pessimistic? I think 
Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think usually, <laughs> I, I mean, I think don't, about it. I don't know how the, I don't know the history of Switzerland, but I know, you know, in the United States, it, co- it happened as a union of states. They came together and they signed some kind of declaration together, you know, uh, uh, independence from, from England. I think when you have two states that are, because that's what, that's what you need in essence is it a union. It would be two states. We mean many states. No, it would be one. Ah, you're saying there would be more than two states within yeah, this one? Of course. Country, uh-huh. of course. So Kiryatchmona is the capital of uh, the of north. the north. Yes. <laughs> well, how many states? What what other states would you have? Batyam. Um. <laughs> Batyam well, first of all, the state of Tel Aviv, because Tel Aviv needs a state of its own. Yeah, definitely. Um. For that, we can agree. Yeah. It would collapse in a day. <laughs> you know, there's the West Bank, um, and in the West Bank, there's many settlements, and uh-huh. it would be a good solution to, um. You know, maybe give back some of the lands that were taken. Uh-huh. Um, but also I know and I'm realistic and I know that Israel wouldn't give up all of the settlements. Um, so that could be part of the solution to, you know, not having to move people around and giving up their homes. Because I'm, I'm not for anyone giving up, up their home. Right. Mm-hmm. So... So many states, so like a block of settlements would be a state. But you have to have a courageous leader to, to do something like Here. this. Oh, okay. <laughs> we already agreed on that, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, well, a girl can dream, I think. <laughs> and that was or... always the motto of Noah's life. <laughs> yeah. A girl can dream. Um, okay. Cool. I think it's a good note to, to wrap things up. Um, so... If people want to follow you, you have um, social media and stuff, Twitter. Uh, yeah, well, no. But <laughs> I, no, I, I, oh, I, you really got to be your campaign manager because you got to have a Twitter uh, yeah, nowadays. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Let's do that. No, really. Um, I, I do want to start my own like Facebook page or Twitter or something like that so that people it's can safe. follow me. And yeah, so it's that not I something can... like that. Today, you have to have all of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram, yes. So Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Snapchat. Okay. There's just a bunch of them. There's, do, do and you, you wanna, can automate you, it all. You do want to be the vice um, no, campaign I, manager? No. I'm, no. <laughs> um, I'm just telling you how much work you have. Yeah. I, I need to start something and then post our selfie together. Yeah. Um, That's and the say first that I... picture to go up. <laughs> yeah. That's historic for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I will uh, look up my Shbeta and in a few days you'll find something. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> cool. So we got a promise out of you. Yeah, Maybe one not. promise, yeah. please. Okay. <laughs> that and the politics. Do cool. it before we post the podcast and we'll even put a link. Okay. Cool. Then you'll get thousands um, of really? Millions. Wow. I mean, maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we go, uh, we are cooperating with a great Facebook group, which is called Secret Tel Aviv. It's a Facebook group of 140,000 people who um, talk and discuss about life in Tel Aviv in English. Uh, it's a really really cool gr- group and uh you know you know it yeah of course. okay yeah so it's highly recommended really good information about life here and uh and of course the jewish journal and of course the jewish jewish journal which we've mentioned and uh go to their website and read uh interview the interview with my and uh so so many so other interesting um arab they Israelis. have one with uh they have a norman isa yeah uh, and a few others. It's actually a good yeah, addition. I actually work with Norman Issa. Ah, yeah? Yeah. He and his uh, wife, Gidon Arraz, they have a theater. Uh-huh. The Elma, theater. no? Um, Elmina. 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 Yeah. And I'm helping them build a, a Israeli-Arab um, theater group. 
Cool. Oh, great. Yeah. So maybe you can put us in touch with them. I will. We'll talk after the show. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mai, you're amazing and it's inspiring. So thank you so much for coming. It was great fun. And we can promise to try and be more optimistic. Right, Eitan? Don't do that. Please to yourself. I can't make any problems. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Happy Bye-bye. Independence Day. Bye.